seeking collaborations with influential people. At GZPR, we create passion-fueled collaborations that go beyond traditional representation, a performance agency that onboards new clients every month. Our focus is on POC collaborations. Contact us now at hellogzpr.com, a self-aware public relations agency exploring world perspectives with leading talents. Hello and welcome. My name is Tiffany Farrakh and welcome to Get to Know You, a podcast for those who want to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, where conversations can become stronger when we explore our thinking and behavior. Every Tuesday, a new question will be asked to a guest speaker. Genuine people here to have insightful conversations. A big announcement, a new course available now called How to Get to Know You. We'll be giving away the first lesson for a fee on the website. The link is available in the show description. My guest speaker today is Megan Kent. She has spent much of her career career working for the world's top advertising agencies. She's shaped the brand strategy for many of the world's most important brands, including BMW, Coca-Cola, New York Times, Microsoft, and Brand USA. Megan's passion and commitment to understanding people's relationships with brands drove her to study of not only what people think, but how people think. She spent over a decade immersed in the latest findings in cognitive science. The distillation of her learning in this area combined with over 30 years in marketing led Megan to create a proprietary system for helping brands connect more powerfully with people. It's called brain-friendly branding, seven essential principles for creating brands a brain can love. Megan's book on this topic goes to print next week and will be available June 2021. Welcoming Megan Kent to get to know you. Welcome, Megan. Thank you, Tiffany. It's awesome to be here. This is exciting. Super exciting. I'm so, so uh, honored to just have you on the podcast. So this is amazing and your principles are incredible. I've taken Megan's masterclass and I've got so many questions and so many things to say. But first, how did you, what was your, I just really want to understand if you're in this, you're in the marketing industry and then all of a sudden you're like, I want to know how people think. I want to know why people are drawn to something? What was the flick of the switch? What was, why, like, you know, what, well, why did you start uh, that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, it all started at this uh, cocktail party in New York City. I had just moved um, to New York to pursue, well, to further my career to trajectory. I'd just gotten a job at a huge advertising agency on Madison Avenue. And I met, I met somebody at a cocktail party and this was in the late nineties. And, you know, she said to me, um, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I work, you know, in advertising. And she said, Oh, wow. That is so fascinating. You must know all about consumer psychology and anthropology and sociology and cognitive science. And I just sat here looking at her because first of all, I couldn't believe how sophisticated people on the outside world thought we were inside the advertising business. And second of all, because no agency I'd ever worked at, and these are the largest most famous advertising agencies in the world had ever used those disciplines. 
to think about how to communicate more powerfully. And so at that point, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take a deep dive into science because this, you know, at the same time, it was kind of when all this, this neuroscience started popping into the landscape and there were already so many books available that I could read. And um, I thought, you know, I'm going to become an expert in the science of persuasion. Isn't that what our clients pay us to do? Isn't that our job is to understand how to persuade people? And so then I started becoming um, kind of fluid in some of these basic principles. And the shocking part was that when I would raise some of these basic scientific principles, which would help us connect more powerfully through our brand communications, through science, the fact of the matter is, is nobody in the agencies cared. They didn't want to listen. <laughs> they had their own formula, which was based on, hey, we're going to make a funny commercial. We're going to entertain people. And, um, you know, we're going to do this shoot in Tahiti because that's really cool. And we want to use this famous director. In other words, they weren't focused on what I was focused on. And I felt like they weren't focused on our clients' success or business goals. And that is why I ultimately chose to get out of the business because I felt that the creative directors, the owners of these agencies were solely focused on winning, at, winning awards for their own sake because the ad industry had chosen these commercials to be breakthrough, shocking, entertaining, but Half the time, these were commercials that didn't even move the needle in terms of sales results. So I just felt like there was a huge conflict of interest. And um, at some point, I just threw up my hands and said, I feel like taking a shower every day. We're, we're, not, we're not appropriately serving our clients. And so I left a really lucrative, high-profile career to get down the basics and uh, actually help my own clients succeed by following these very, very, very simple and pragmatic rules of thumb if you really want to truly and powerfully connect with your customer. No, that's fantastic. I really love you to do that. Before, yeah, so as you were talking there, and I love that, and it's like you studied the pers- the persuasion of science, like why people are persuaded to do something. And, I, and it really, uh, you know, makes my mind – not understand how these people were like were not like oh wow Megan that's incredible like we're gonna let, let's latch on to that let's hold on to it let's uh, you know this is fantastic instead of just going nah let's just make something look pretty and people will gravitate towards it you know that it it, it boggles my mind that you had so much it boggles um, my mind yeah. it boggles my mind how did and this have rejection no, yeah. it just you know you know, the, the thinking, and it's still true today, the thinking is so ingrained. They kind of follow their own belief system about what they want to believe works because it, it, it makes, you know, secretly they all just want to be um, filmmakers and, and, and make great films. They, they didn't get into the business because they're passionate about selling. They got into the business because it was a way to be creative and to put their films 
on television. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, using your own creativity is very satisfying. It's very enjoyable. But I felt like they were missing a critical element. And I tried really, really hard um, to make my case about why we ought to be thinking about things differently. But it just, to this day, creative directors aren't going to work like that. They just, they don't like rules. They don't like anything that's going to stifle their creativity. So, you know, how many times would we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on commercials and even in the Super Bowl? And for example, my mother would always come up to me and say, oh God, I just saw that funny, funny commercial the other day where you know, a giraffe is running and he bumps into an elephant or something like that. It was so cute. And I said, great mom, I'm glad you love the commercial. Um, what were they selling? What product was it for? And she'd say, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I was like, yeah, I don't even know what they're saying. It was funny. So, you know, yeah. It was just cute. And another thing is, is there was just this ingrained rule of thumb, which is in practice to this day, that if you're doing an ad on television, you wait until the very last second to show the client's logo. So you could be doing a minute, a two minute. I've seen a, a, a two minute commercial for Heineken where you're watching this goat running around the streets of India and all this like, you know, scenic storytelling. But the whole time your brain is going, why am I watching this? Like, wh who's, what's this about? And then so at the very, times. very end, they'll splash up, you know, oh, this is for Heineken. And you're going, first of all, what did any of that have to do with Heineken? And second of all, I've already forgotten the whole commercial. And now you put the logo up. The, there, there is something called priming. And if you actually put the logo up in the very beginning of the commercial and you make some type of statement like, you know, Heineken helps you connect, Heineken refreshes your thirst, whatever it is, then every frame for the rest of the commercial, people are going to be associating with your brand therefore making your production values work so much harder but to this day you know even if you look at print ads for the most part um they just have i, I have this bmw range rover that they just put the client's logo down at the very bottom right of the corner it's like standard practice and yet if you look at brands like Chanel, Yves Saint Laurent, Rolex, the brands, largely fashion brands, who um, usually have their marketing department in-house, they want to celebrate their logo. So they've got the logo splashed all over the page as big as, as, big as it could possibly be. Sometimes the Rolex will be intertwined you know, with the watch itself. They are owning this page. Mm. And the bigger your logo is, the greater confidence you project. If you mm. have some amazing car and then you put little tiny, like half inch logo at the bottom, what does that say about your brand? I mean, um, 
again, it's like own the benefit that you're selling, own the brand that you have built from the ground up. Don't, I, this is the, one of the biggest practices that I just get so frustrated about, and it's very old school thinking. Hello? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, no, you, you were good. Continue. What are the practices that okay. you get? Uh, old practices that you... Yeah, yeah. No, so that's just, that's an example of um, people don't want to change the way they're doing things. You know, just, 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 I'm going to make a two minute commercial. Nobody will know what it's about. And then at the end, we'll just chuck on a, you know, logo. And, and because the thinking is that we, <laughs> we don't want to look like we're selling. We just want to entertain people. Yeah. And then at the end, we'll say, oh, okay, this was from, you know, XYZ brand. But the fact of the matter is we, we don't want to think that hard. Mm. One of the core operating principles of the brain is that we don't like to think. And because we need to conserve our glucose, our glucose is part of what helps us think harder, but that's a reserve that we need in case of emergencies. So we're really, for the most part, yeah. we're just going to sit back and enjoy the ride, particularly if we're watching a commercial. We don't want to like sit there and take notes and go, okay, let me see. Let's see there in India, there's a goat. Um, yeah, let me, let me try and figure out. I'm trying to <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And yeah, it's absolutely right. Like your brain uses 40% of your energy and it's working on pure glucose. Right. So we don't want to When it's there. in deep thinking mode, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. And right. As, you're, as you're talking there and you're talking about what, what boggles my mind is that also another thing is that why are the, pe- the, the clients, are, the clients are happy though with having their logo so small on the, in these advertisements, like, isn't that something that they, that they would be like, no, well, why isn't our logo uh, this up is front? An age old, this, this is an age-old conflict, uh, age-old conflict. So um, clients originally did, you know, they're saying, hey, I swear to God, I remember every day there would be a conversation about, oh, the client wants us to make the logo bigger. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, uh, they're paying for the ad. Um, They want people to remember it. But now this thinking has become so ingrained within the ad agencies themselves that it's also, that it's almost become an accepted belief system. Uh. I mean, so now agencies are starting to train clients in this formula that they have. And so, you know, the client's going to the ad agency because they think that they're the experts in communication and this is the very problem. So, um, you know, sometimes they would inch up the logo a little bit in, in size, but it never came anything close to what you see with fashion brands that are truly celebrating their brand. And you know what? The Pradas of the world, the Gucci's of the world, the, the, the Chanel's of the world, 
they sell a lot of product because they've created desire for that brand through their through their communication. And part of the communication is showing the world who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And like Chanel and Brand, and you see that like the the only thing on the screen is their brand at times. Yeah, it's, it's their, the, absolutely. It's their brand in the advertising. So and yeah. it, it does. It seems like whoa, they're really like uh, you know high end. You see, and you you automatically feel that because they're high you've end. Communicate, because you've communicated confidence. And if you have confidence in your brand, you're going to pay more for that brand. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you know, Tiffany, you just, you hit on something that drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just, it doesn't, didn't make sense to me. That, that one of the things you mentioned there, one of the principles that govern our behavior is saying people don't, don't want to think people don't make the person think don't make the customer think and the other two that that um that are really interesting is am i safe and will this feel good the part of safety is the face safety is in or is it safe to put my money and invest is that is that what that means yeah yeah well you're hitting on the core principles so um my whole premise for my book is that we want to help brands and people too become irresistible by working in sync with human instincts. So the underlying premise is that we're not the rational people that we used to think we are. Why? Because now today's cognitive scientists agree on one thing that 95% of our decisions actually take place in the subconscious mind, not the conscious mind. So we're actually deciding based on this messy stew of feelings, memories, emotions, and sensory impressions. We used to think that our decision-making was about think, feel, do. I'm going to think I'm going to buy that car, and then I'm going to feel like buying that car, and then I'm going to buy the car. That is not what happens. We actually decide emotionally and validate with reason. So Really, the paradigm, it turns out, is feel, do, think. We rationalize after the fact. We, you know, we'll go and have that piece of, you know, ice cream pie or something like that because we just feel like it. And so then we're, we're going to do it. And then later we'll go, well, I worked really hard today. So, you know, I deserve that. It's, it's not rational. So... In order to connect more powerfully, we actually need to learn the behaviors that our subconscious mind processes best. And here's the killer part. Our subconscious mind is illiterate. Okay? Mm -hmm. It doesn't process words. It doesn't process facts and figures. It works by how things make us feel. So we need to become experts at learning the behaviors that actually connect most powerfully with our subconscious mind. So if we allowed our subconscious mind to take over, if so, I don't know how that even possible, if we allowed our subconscious (laughs) mind to take over, would it, would humans be more just in sync with their, their values or in sync with uh, what's, what's more true to their heart? Like if somehow, I don't know, human, it, it took over for everybody, would things be more, it, would we be more in flow and in flow with other humans around us if our subconscious mind was in control? Here's an interesting thing. Um, there have been many experiments, and one started uh, 
with Antonio Damasio, one of the great neuroscientists. Um, he actually wrote a book called um, I forget the name of the book. But anyway, the the premise was that there's this guy, his name is Phineas Cage, and he was a steel worker. And one day, um, a pole went through his brain, okay? And it, and, it, and it created a hole in his head. Now you think, how could anybody possibly survive? But apparently it just cut clean through and only chopped out certain parts of his brain. And, um, oh, the book is called Descartes' Error. Anyway, um, here's the crazy thing about Phineas Cage. What they found was that he was functioning, he was functioning normally in all the rest of his behavior in his life, but he couldn't make decisions. Mm. Why? Because the pole had wiped out his ability to process emotion. Mm. Wow. So, so what you realize is that, sure, our, our, our conscious brain is really useful for, you know, writing reports and, and, and doing schoolwork and, you know, hard thinking tasks that sometimes we have to do in our jobs or in school. But when it comes down, <laughs> when it comes down to something as simple as, you know, deciding if you're going to have apple pie or blueberry pie, because of that whole memory system, the emotions, you, you don't know which one you like better. <laughs> mm. So the, the two really depend together um you so know we better, like to, it'd be better if it was like 50 percent subconscious mind 50 percent conscious mind like if we i don't if, know i don't could know we maybe you function know? better in that kind of <laughs> <laughs> i don't know because you know we have our species has has successfully evolved over the past six million years by running in sync with our core basic instincts, okay? So this system that we have, and frankly, scientists say that our brains haven't changed fundamentally in this regard in 50,000 years. So we're largely operating with the same brain we had when we were hunter-gatherers. So the, the primordial devices and instincts that we have in place right now are serving our survival very well. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, is would we be better off if we had more conscious brain working? I, I don't think so. I mean, our, 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 our subconscious, our, our instinctive ability to react to situations where we don't feel safe <clears throat> to your point earlier our brain's number one job is ensuring our survival so we're not willingly going to put ourselves in a situation that doesn't feel safe 
No. The other thing is, is we, we, we seek pleasure over pain. You know, if I put my hand on a hot iron in the past and I felt, oh, wow, th- this hurts. I'm not going to put my hand on a hot iron again. No. Um, so, you know, kind of uh, adapting to the lessons that we've learned over time through, you know, our memories and emotions and feelings has really guided our survival very successfully. Yeah, yeah. I like how you put it. When I was in that, you made a statement of, you know, you cannot short circuit human instinct. Like that, yeah. I really like that. And that really, like, um, you know, rings true to me. Like, I just like hearing, I'm like, oh, that resonates well with me. But when people, when people have a fear, uh, is the short circuiting, you short circuit your human instinct with fear? Do people not react on their human instinct if there is too much fear? Well, the instinct is fear. Mm. So the instinct is danger. So, so we have this primordial detective system that lights up when we feel unsafe. Frankly, it, it lights up. It's called the amygdala. And it's in the oldest part of our brain. It even lights up if we um, see two plus two equals five. We're like, hey, something feels wrong here. It lights up if you know somebody tells us that they're a certain kind of way, a certain kind of person, and then we start seeing them engaging in really sketchy things <laughs> that, yeah. that um, don't line up with who they said they were. Sure. Or, um, or even that feeling that you have when you're around certain people, they might be saying the right things, but your body feels like, ah, my body, I don't feel good being around this person. You read the body language. You read, are they looking me in the eye? You read, are they, you know, like looking away, trying to, you know, distance. You, you, this is our credibility receptor. It's innate. And, um, you know, for the most part, it works pretty well. We usually go with our gut about things. And how many times, you know, you, you can't put your finger on something, but you just go, you know, this restaurant doesn't feel right. Um, the people seem disengaged or the something smells weird in here. There's just like a vibe in here that I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. We don't even know why, but, sometimes but we don't it re- go back. No, but sometimes I think it works against you. Like, you know, when your, your intuition or your gut feeling is telling you, oh, you know, it feels really good that uh, this person seems like someone I, I want to know and I want to get close to, and you're feeling intuitively that, you know, it's a good thing to go, but then your brain and maybe other people around you like, no, I wouldn't go for them or you could do better or something like that. You know, like it's funny how that, that there's wow. that debate between the mind and the gut when it comes to some things too. Yes. And that's the mysterious part about the brain. I, I actually have a very interesting story about that, um, which I can tell at, at some point, but you know, the fact of the matter is, is you're not always right. You're not always right. You know, sometimes we have to learn through experience or by gathering a little bit more information. A lot of times 
you know, they say about 80% of the time we're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I but like sometimes, sometimes we need more information. Sure, sure. So you have seven core principles and they were very interesting mm-hmm. as I went through them and a lot of things there, st- you know, stood out to me. So the first one is tap your authenticity. And that one, obviously, you know, you, you want to mm-hmm. be genuine and people know when you're not being real. And is there an example you can give that shows where companies haven't been authentic and it's just, it just, you know, you think, uh, oh, it's, why would you not be authentic? Well, you know, authenticity is a big buzzword today. Everybody, everybody wants authenticity. Everybody says, you know, something. I mean, today, particularly with millennials, they, you know, they actually say, I only do business with authentic brands. Um, And so you kind of go, well, what does that even mean? Um, I love what Stephen Covey says. He says, what is authenticity? You know it when you feel it. In other words, if a brand acts in concert with its stated purpose. So JetBlue said it was all about, um, they wanted to put humanity back into travel, okay? David Nealman came into the marketplace in a time when, when air flight was dreadworthy and he was raised as a Mormon and he kind of was brought up with these values of servitude and, 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 and doing the right thing and being kind to people. And so he invented this idea for a new kind of airline that would um, treat people better. Mm. And so he, you know, his, his goal was put humanity back into travel. His point of view was that things didn't work um, the way they were supposed to. So he did these amazing things like um, had cheaper prices um, in flight amenities. They were the first airline that actually gave you a free TV at every seat. <laughs> they had these really lovely um Blue at the time, talk about uh, branded all the way down to the snacks, blue potato chips and blue, you know, wow. cookies, and drinks and everything. Um, but most importantly, they hired people who were um, who were good people and who wanted to take care of people. I mean, one of the interview questions that he used, which I thought was pretty ingenious when he's interviewing people. His goal was to find people who would work together to create the totality of a a superior customer experience. So one of the interview questions they would ask um, potential team members is, give me an example of, of a way that you helped somebody outside of your job. Wow. Okay, that makes how, how often, you know, do you walk into a store and you say, can I have this? And then they're like, you know, that's the other department or, or you, you know, yeah. you, you call, this happens all day long. You call customer service on something and they're like, first of all, you can tell they don't even care. Um, and then 
they're just transferring you over and over and over again because they don't think it's their job to take care of you. Yeah. And, you know, also they're usually not empowered at the front line to solve your problems. But this was, you know, he had this policy where, you know, the the flight attendants would go, um, you know, help bring people on the plane, the, not only just serving food, maybe they're having a backlog uh in the boarding process and so they go out and they you know help the other people who are trying to get people's tickets and stuff like that so um you know your authenticity should go from the leadership on down okay an example of because it should form an invisible thread that binds the company you want yeah so it's about making the customer like authenticity will be like make the customer feel good how can i make the customer feel good yeah, because that's what we're about, okay? Yeah. So here's an example I love because I hate this airline so much. Um, United Airlines. I mean, for 50 years, they had the slogan, fly the friendly skies. Mm. And they played this beautiful Bohemian Rhapsody um, theme song, like all heavenly and glorious and... And... and um, Okay, first of all, they they haven't been pleasant to to do business with for quite a long time. But then when they start making headlines for (laughs) randomly dragging people off the airplane. Yeah. (laughs) Like that famous doctor incident. And for chucking this poor guy's guitar um, like out of the baggage handling and, you know, broke his guitar. I mean, people just, people just go crazy. And it's like so much for flying the friendly skies. You better change that slogan because you're really making people mad right now. So, you know, what happens is you, you see it all the time, particularly with, you know, packaged goods companies, like, you know, some of your favorite Cereal brands that are now, you know, saying new and improved, all natural ingredients or whatever. And then you're reading the back of it and you're looking at all these weird words you don't understand. And, you know, those are the kind of things that just, they create a cognitive dissonance. And sometimes you just can't go back. You're just like, you're full of it. You're full of it. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 it's not genuine. Yeah. 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 No, no, that totally makes sense. And it's interesting how companies take advantage of that. I'll try and portray uh, a genuine trend or, or a trend. Yeah. Uh, just, just to get people to like them, but really they're not that they're not true. You know, it's not in their heart. Absolutely. So yeah, that, that's I mean, super- one thing. One thing that's really crazy is that, this impossible burger. I don't know if you you guys have this over in um, Europe, but it's really, (laughs) this is so stupid. It's really taken the world by storm because people, because it's like a a non meat hamburger. And so people think, uh, Oh, well, this is um, better for me. Yeah, they do. It has a higher, It has a higher sodium content than regular hamburgers, like three times as much. So 
why are you selling me this thing based on health benefits when sodium is far worse for you than eating meat? You know, it's, this kind of stuff just kills me. Yeah, no, like it's just, <laughs> it shouldn't be happening. No, absolutely. Your other point in your principles, and this part is really interesting to me, like tell your story. So that really comes to like how do you sell yourself? And sometimes yeah. I, it was interesting that you that this is one of your principles to me because I find that a lot of people, especially like as a podcaster too, people just want to tell their story and like they keep telling their story and then it's just like sometimes like could you abuse telling your story or like hearing people talk about tell their story like too much and then it, it like to a point where like let's talk about something, something instead else. of <laughs> Well, instead of the story, talk about what the like the lesson, or talk about the 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 behavior, or talk about the think or something like yeah. that. Instead of somebody's yeah. story and then like going down that path. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a really interesting point, Tiffany. Um, I mean, first of all, stories are important. We you know we all know our brains are hardwired to learn best through story. We've been learning using stories about the world we've been you know since sitting around the campfire we've been listening to our elders tell stories and we learn who to trust what's safe what's not safe you know how to how to live a best life you know in sync with the um traditions of the tribe and another interesting thing about story which i didn't realize is that stories release the chemical or the hormone oxytocin into your body. Now it's called the empathy hormone because this is the same hormone that women feel when they're breastfeeding their children. Okay. So this is a hormone that naturally makes people care and Mm -hmm. empathize. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, people say, oh, tell your stories because um, it's going to help relatability. It's going to help people understand you, you know, on a deeper and personal level. Um, You know, I certainly think Apple computer wouldn't, you know, who cares about Dell and IBM? They don't have a story, you know, but the story of Steve Jobs starting a computer in his garage and, and being fired from his own company and then coming back and making it one of the most, you know, valued brands in the world. I mean, you can't really separate Steve Jobs from Apple and his story truly made it great. Yeah. At the same time, while you're creating empathy, here's going to be a weird thing. So I've seen that happen too, where, you just see people telling the same story over and over and over and over again. And it's like, first of all, what's your authenticity? Because this sounds rote by now. Okay. Like yeah. I, I want a real person. So yeah. if you're just or standing here in front of me. Yeah. 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 So, so a, a couple things. One, if you're just saying the same thing over and over again, all of a sudden you're not even acting human. You're acting like a robot. So I don't like that at all. Um, and then there's the other principle of, 
So we have two things. So I, I can talk about either or both. Um, but we crave novelty too. We're, we're, we're hardwired to respond to novelty. And that goes back to a instinctive training in our caveman days because our inability to respond readily to something new, it could be danger, could have meant the difference between living to see yet another day or being some big cat's lunch. It could also, novelty also often means potential reward. It's linked to exploration and finding. So our ability to detect novelty also helps us find, you know, the berries hidden in the underbrush. Um, so we have, you know, again, from a survival standpoint, our brains are, are brilliant novelty detective device and we, we, we crave novelty. We also crave consistency. That's a very important principle as well. But, um, and they're inverse twins of each other, obviously. But telling your same story over and over and over again um, is definitely going to lead to boredom and, and check out. Yeah, you or and and dragging it on and on and on. It it doesn't it doesn't yeah. it doesn't. It's like you might have that empathy in the beginning, and then you've lost it. If you, I feel like yeah. if you drag on and you, right. or you just you've lost it. It's like so. What is the right amount, or what yeah. when you how do you, how do you sell yourself by sharing a little bit and and trying to connect with the with a client or the customer or something like what what well, what is the secret sweet point. Sweet. So this, yeah, this is an easy one um, because people love nothing more than their own story. So if you open a conversation with a potential client or a friend and you say, tell me your story, it completely changes the game for, you know, People bond together over stories, whether it's a Netflix show or whether it's, you know, a give and take of, of relatable situations. So a really easy pivot is listen to the other person's story. <laughs> no, that is so true. And that uh, honestly, it's been working in my favor. But I like to ask questions and I like to know people where they're from and what they're yeah. doing. And it does work, and I do connect with people, and it. it, it I feel yeah. like, you know, something does happen, and I think that's that's the key there. Like a lot of people go into these things, and like, okay, I got to talk about me and say all the amazing things I can do instead of going, wait, forget about that. Who are you? You know, like let's yeah. let's let's see yeah. where you're coming from. Let's let's know more about you. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be genuine, and I'm sure I'll share too. I'm not going to be a, like a wall or be like, oh no, I'm going to keep myself mysterious or something like that. But I will initiate by knowing who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really important, and it's so easy. You know, sometimes, and this is the the ego kicking in. Sometimes, and it might be based on, you know, again, linking back to survival. Um, sometimes we might want to hog the conversation because <clears throat> we feel like we have to prove ourselves. 
And so, you know, your ego's driving, like, have I made my case? Have I made my case? And um, so you just keep going on and on <laughs> about yourself. And for me, this is always a sign that people don't really feel great about who they are because they just, you know, if you feel great about who you are, you know, say some stuff and then let the other person talk. <laughs> Yeah, you want to know them. You won't need to try and boast yourself or trying to maybe seek validation and go, oh, you're an amazing per, or you, you know, I want to work with you. <laughs> Something like that, you know? It really, it really does get so old. It's yeah. Like, yeah, okay, you are amazing, great, fantastic. That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> so your other point that you, you mentioned, the, 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 the consistency, the, con, you know, satisfy yeah. consistently. That, yeah, yeah. This is a very, very important one. Um, So, and it's something that people don't really think that much about. So in our quest for safety and survival, our brains like certainty. We're certainty seeking creatures. We, We tend to gravitate to the known and the familiar. What is predictable? Why? Because it's safe. We... Don't we tend to go to the same restaurants over and over and over again? And not only that, order the same food. Why? Because it was good last time, so it'll probably be good this time. We go to the grocery store, we buy the same toothpaste, mustard, granola, pasta sauce that we always do. Why? Because it's predictable. It's safe. It worked last time. So there's a reason we're addicted to Amazon is because it works effortlessly every single time we don't have to think it's predictable i know i can send stuff back they're not going to give me a big problem so the interesting thing is in terms of brain science uncertainty triggers a threat response certainty triggers a reward response So think about when somebody says they're going to call you back, whether it's Mm. a customer service person or a friend or anybody who is supposed to call you back. Especially if they say, you know, by three o'clock and then three o'clock comes and goes and they don't call you. You find it hard to concentrate. Yes. Because the, Part of your brain is seeking certainty. They want that box to be checked. You want to feel comfortable about the outcome. And now you don't know, are they ever going to call you back? In a case of a friend or your kid, like, did they get hit by a bus? Like, what's going on? And, you know, the same thing goes for when um, when you order something online and you don't get a confirmation receipt. You don't get a tracking notice. You, I've spent a month being uncomfortable because this nutrition company that I ordered something from never sent me a confirmation receipt. Mm. And so, you know. So give the customer like just, peace of mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. But not only that. In your own interactions with your friends, if you say you're going to call them back, call them back. If you say, I have a friend the other night, I swear to God, we're neighbors and he's a very good friend of mine. But um, I said, hey, let's go grab dinner uh, after work. And he said, yeah, okay. 
But he does have a, 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 a tradition of being like late, which, you know, I kind of put up with, but, <laughs> you know, at, at, at 5.30, he says, you know, it's something came up and I, and I can't do dinner. Well, the fact of the matter is this happens a lot. Mm. And with, with him, <clears throat> and I finally just said, you know what, I'm not making plans with him anymore. Like I can't, I saved my, my Friday night and, um, and now I have nothing to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for starters. <laughs> so in your own interpersonal actions, you know, provide some sort of comfort and predictability that you are who you say you are. And speaking of that, I just have to tell this story about, Certainty is also being consistent with your authenticity. Mm. So I signed up for this coaching course. Um, it was actually a lot of money. And, but this was about eight years ago and I had just left corporate America. It was all about, you know, positivity, good karma, success, all this stuff. And I thought, Oh, this looks like just kind of thing I need. Um, and this guy is a huge international guru. It's not Tony Robbins, but somebody like that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, and he was always doing live videos as well. Like here I am doing this or that or whatever. Well, one time he decided to go on a trip on a vacation with his wife. And he's been telling everybody, I need to go on this vacation with my wife. We, we want to get away. And so they're in some foreign land or something like that. And they both decided to go into a building where there was a restroom. And I guess somehow only he had the key. So then he leaves the restroom and he decides he's going to wait for his wife outside. But he decided that it would be really funny if he did a little prank on her. And so he actually locked the exit of the glass door. And when she comes out, she can't get out of this building and it's an empty building. And so she's like hitting the walls, screaming. He's in the bushes filming this, laughing at her. And I think I am probably everybody else who's watching is thinking, this guy's a psycho. <laughs> I mean, he's putting his wife purposely through torture because he thinks it's funny. And then he, you know, eventually, you know, she's screaming, yelling, help me, let me out of here. And he's over in the bushes cracking up. And, um, you know, eventually he goes out and gets her and he's laughing and she's furious. And I'll be honest with you, I could never watch another one of his videos or, or attend a coaching session. I wanted to, I had yeah. spent so much money, but this behavior of not acting in sync of who I thought he was. Yeah. Somebody who was all about good karma and positivity and living your best life. Who's going to trap his wife, like in a building. These things just kind of, and I said, I'm not going to let it affect me. I paid a lot of money for this course. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't go back because it was, it was, again, it was cognitive dissonance. It was so disingenuous from, from the, 
persona that that he had represented. that he portrayed. So, you know, the other thing is, is you know, consistency is also act in sync with who you are. Absolutely, absolutely. That makes total sense. And wow, it, it's so interesting that you spend all this money, but you're still like, I can't, I can't go any further. It didn't, it didn't I resonate for you. You know why? My subconscious mind, which is ruling my behavior, we move to what feels good and away from what doesn't. Didn't feel good about no. this guy on a on a on a subconscious, intuitive, emotional level. So even though my rational brain is saying you paid a lot of money. He's still got a lot of good ticks and trips, ticks, whatever, tips and tricks. <laughs> um, I, I felt gross, you know. I just yeah, like, it just didn't feel. It didn't feel right. That's it. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And, no, no. I, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back. No, your other, your other, um, your your other principles that you have. I like how you kind of separated this and I kind of want to understand the other senses, but you, you say speak visually, but then the other, another principle is engage the senses, engage all the senses. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Can you though? So, can you always, um, can you always engage all the senses? Well, the thing about engaging the senses is that they are wired best to work. They are wired to work best together. Mm. So uh, this again comes from a survival standpoint. So um, our senses are always on. Yeah, they bypass reason. They we we respond viscerally and emotionally to them. And you know, if you think back in back in our you know hunter gatherer days, you might smell a fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're like, hmm, it? and then you might hear the crackling in the brush, in the bushes. And you're like, okay, something's going on. And then you might feel heat rising in the area. And then you see the flames. And all of these senses working together propel you to act immediately and instinctively and to run. And, yeah. and to get away as, as quickly as possible. Now, if only one of our senses had been engaged, our body may not have responded so quickly. Sure, um, sure. So when it comes to, like, that, sorry, that, that for example, that course that you, you purchased eight years ago and you spent a lot of money in it, yeah. how, do, how did that engage your senses to go, hey, I'm going to buy this course and, and do this with this person? Well, engages in the senses, um, you know, in that case, um, I'm looking at videos. Um, yeah. I'm looking at the way he presents himself. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, upbeat music in his interstitials. Now, is it when you're buying an online course, you can't control for scent, you know, or no. taste. So it's not always practical. Sure. To be able to engage all the senses at one time. Um, John Medina tells us that um, the more senses that are engaged at the moment of learning, the more robust the response, mm. the, the, more, the, the, the more powerful is the sensation and, and your experience, whether negative or positive. But you know, if if you're a, a restaurant, for example, 
it's easy to create a signature taste to, to help you stand out. Um, you know, if you're selling something online, not so easy. But I do have, you know, one of my favorite examples of employing the, the sense of taste is this hair salon mm. that I go to. And it's owned by these Italian entrepreneurs. And uh, eating and drinking often also creates this uh, convivial hospitality vibe. And when you go in, as soon as you sit down in the chair, they offer you an espresso, an artfully made espresso or a cortado. So um, now all of a sudden, just going to his you know, hair salon has turned into a little bit more of a multi-sensory experience. And it's a ritual, which we, we like too. Um, so there are ways, you know, if you're a, if you're a, um, a store that sells, you know, clothing, you can offer people vitamin infused water, for example, while they go into the dressing room. I mean, yeah. so, you know, there are ways of engaging the senses. I mean, Singapore airline has been rated the number one airline and customer service for the past 20, 30 years. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've been using this signature scent. They're probably the original scent marketer. It's called Flirting Waters. And they serve these hot towels bathed in this scent before takeoff. And they have all of the flight attendants wearing the perfume. Yeah. So as we walk up and down the aisles, you're just sensing this incredible, you know, aroma. And, um, you know, real estate agents will like bake cookies before they do an open house, mm -hmm. for example. So that yeah. it has this like homey vibe. Yeah. Um, so it's I a lot love, easier when it's in person. Like if you can get the, like an in-person kind of it thing, is it's just much easier to engage all the senses, yeah. It is, but, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have a signature playlist on your call center. Um, you know, you can also be thinking, this is kind of weird. I was buying a milk frother on Amazon, and these things are like $10, okay, not expensive. Yeah. And, but I'm, there's all kinds, you know, some are $5, some are $20. And um, you just kind of look at the pictures. But then there was a milk frother that had a video. And this is seriously like a $12 item. Yeah. And they show not only stunning photographies, you know, in the kitchen surrounding the, um, you know, the making of this coffee with frothed milk, but they were playing this luxurious music to accompany the video. And so now you're just kind of like getting uh, seduced into this mm. mode of, oh, I could be in my home and everything is going to feel so lovely because I'll be in this vibe with the video. I mean, <laughs> and that's the one I bought. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because it made you feel something like, oh, I like this. 
That's so funny that it, that it did that. That's so interesting that it was able to do that. Wow, wow. That's super interesting. So you, you and it makes you feel part of it, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, music, it turns out that uh, anthropologists found flutes made from mammoth tut, tut, tusks mm-hmm. 43,000 years ago, okay? Yeah. We have been making music before the cave paintings were even on the walls, Yeah. before we were drawing. I mean, yeah. music moves us. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, I mean, there's this, there's this restaurant that I go to in Spain and they have this signature house, house dish that's lobster and eggs and potato chips. Sounds kind of weird, but it's the rage. And, (laughs) and it comes in this huge, huge, huge plate, bigger than paella. And every time somebody orders this dish, I swear to God, they bring it out as a team to the table and they blast the song Despacito. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, <laughs> such a contagious song. Nobody can ever like sit still when it's on. And everybody in the restaurant stands up and starts singing and dancing and waving their <laughs> arms. I mean, it just, you know, music gets us energized. Music helps us, you know, work out. Music helps us mourn. Um, it's it's a powerful tool. And if you can Absolutely. figure out a way to, you know, I, I'll be honest, mornings when I don't feel like going to work and I'm just feeling slow and sluggish and like, oh, I dread the day, I'll put on my favorite playlist and I... My my mood is transformed. 100%. Absolutely. Totally agree. And I, I have that same feeling. Like for me, like people know when Tiffany listens to music, she can't sit still. She's moving. Even though it doesn't yeah. matter what kind of song yeah. it is, I, I really connect with me. <laughs> it does connect stronger with more people than us. I wonder, we probably started, you know, listening to music or making music uh, before we started speaking <laughs> and, and that cave well, time. <laughs> well, that is probably true. And you know, speaking of that, I will go into, you, you're probably going to ask why I separated sight from the rest of the senses. So one of our five senses, obviously, is sight, which really is our dominant sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it doesn't create the most powerful emotions and feelings and memories, but we process the world first and foremost through sight. And over half of our brain's resources are actually dedicated to sight. And scientists hypothesize (coughs) that vision evolved to be our dominant sense because if you think about it, it supports our primary survival pillars. So through sight, we avoid danger. We can avoid a falling tree or, or you know, running saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> um, it helps us find food and a suitable mate. Okay, yeah. without sight, it's not that easy to pick out who you want to who you want to marry. Um, 
And if you think about it, I mean, so we process images 60,000 times faster than words. So think about this. We were born knowing how to see. We had to go to school for many, many years to learn how to read and write. So if you think about it, we're experts at seeing and also processing the world through our eyes. So as a brand or as a person, you are never not communicating visually for better or worse. Yeah. So, you know, the way you're dressed, the backgrounds on your Instagram or your, uh, you know, Tinder feed or whatever, like people are processing the whole, the whole picture. Yes. So, you, you know, if you're smart, you're, you're going to think about how you show up in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, what you personally are communicating through your, through your look. Um, yeah. I mean, Prince, like David Bowie, masters at creating a signature look that really defines them and, and communicated their unique personalities. The very famous author, Thomas Wolfe, who wrote the book, uh, wrote the books, the right stuff and the bonfire of vanities never left the house without his signature white suit. And you know, that just defined him and just yeah. kind of said, I'm a dandy, I'm a dandy and I'm proud of myself and I'm distinctive and people better listen to what I have to say because it's good. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a story of what not to do. Yes, please. You ready? Okay. This is kind of a weird story, but um, it just happened to me last weekend. So it's very top of mind. So I was walking down the street in my neighborhood and I hear this really loud music and it actually happens to be one of my favorite songs, Engaging the Senses. Um, and so I kind of, I'm drawn toward, I look over and I see this impeccably dressed, tall, handsome gentleman and he's, he's got a white button down, a tie, a blue crew neck sweater, kind of like a gold Rolex watch or something. And he's cleaning the interior of his Range Rover, of his white Range Rover, okay? And while playing like this incredible music blasting out of the car, like he's basically a one-man pop-up show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I visualized it. It's in my head. I visualized it. <laughs> I mean, he was doing everything right. So I'm walking by and I love the song so much. I, um, I, I, I said, but I forgot the band it was. So I just kind of stopped him and I said, um, hey, you know, I love this song. Can you remind me of the band? And he said, Oh, it's shivery. I'm like, oh my God, shivery. This, that, of course, I've, I, I love shivery. It's one of my favorite bands. Um, so we just started chatting. He 
told me he was like partly, you know, from Wales or something. And so are they. And um, he was really charismatic, incredibly warm smile. And he told me he owned some properties, was selling them and was looking to move into the neighborhood. And it's a, it's a very upscale neighborhood. So I'm picking up, you know, all these kind of different cues through his story, the visuals, the cleaning, the um, song. We got along really well. And um, we decided to exchange phone numbers. Okay, I have to say right here and now, this is something I've never done in my life. <laughs> Really? Okay. Interesting. Well, I've never met like a random guy and just like ended up exchanging phone numbers. I, I don't, I don't, I really don't think it's ever happened. But anyway, he told me he'd call me sometime. And then a few days later to talk about going to dinner. And then a few days later, he calls me and then he just kind of blurts out, <laughs> by the way, I'm broke. So it's going to have to be Dutch treat. And I'm like, warning signals. <laughs> and I said, you're broke? I said, what's with the $100,000 Range Rover? And um, he tells me he's actually a construction worker and was just using his friend's car last weekend to attract attention and meet people. What? I swear to God, this is a true life story. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, I would have liked him if he'd had a VW that's playing that same song because he was so charismatic and and warm and he could have been wearing, you know, overalls for what I care. Yeah. But the disparity between his visual selling yeah and who he really was again inconsistent it's inconsistent yeah it, it's just it was too uncomfortable for me to overcome yeah so what's the lesson here don't speak visually in a way that completely misrepresents who you really are yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> well, and so many people do it. It's like just looking at like just dating and things like that. Like you know, just these these uh, apps, these apps for dating. Everyone's trying course, to present yeah. a picture and all these things, and then you talk to the person in real life. You're like, whoa, you what? How yeah, you yeah. come across? Or even yeah. these pictures are one yeah. thing, and then looking at you now, you're not the same as what I saw online. Yeah, yeah. So it's dangerous. Speaking visually can be very compelling because it does attract your attention. And, you know, in this case, you know, this guy's perfectly dressed as a gorgeous shining car and, you know, everything about it said, Oh, this is beautiful, fabulous. But if it's not who you are, like you're only going to, you're only going to break any kind of trust that you could have ever established. So like, don't get started. No, absolutely. 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 Um, your, your last set, uh, principle that we have not mentioned yet is create community. Yeah. Is that always possible? Um, I think so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, it depends on what kind of community, but um, 
again, the thing about creating community is that this is also hardwired into our DNA because back in our days in, you know, the tribe, we wouldn't have survived alone against the elements. No. So you really, like, if you were rejected by your tribe, you were kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, so we really like feeling like we're part of a like-minded group. Um, it gives us comfort. So whether it's our, you know, our, our book club or our, you know, football pool or yeah. our There's a, sorority sisters from whatever, college or, or whatever, or whatever. Play, PlayStation games, like, oh, we've all got this <laughs> game or whatever. Yeah, we, yeah. we just, you know. Or that, we all have that, this that, phone. That, we all have the same phone. Yeah, that bringing of togetherness yeah, or of having the same thing. Town. Yeah, yeah. So we love that feeling of, you know, kind of feeling connected. So, you know, how do you create community? I mean, there are certain things that, you know, you can obviously do, which are, um, you know, as a brand, you're going to create like a VIP club or, you know, give people birthday presents um, or, or discounts and that kind of thing. But some of the things that I like to think of are um, like brand rituals. So a friend of mine, anthropologist said, um, one of the quick, quickest ways to create a cult feeling is through proprietary rituals. Well, the Masons are an organization that uh, were formed in medieval times and they're, they've survived up to this day. Many of our presidents used to, our, our, our Masons, our ex-presidents, it's based on a secret handshake, okay? Yeah. So, so, you know, in your fraternity or sorority, you have a secret handshake. Um, you know, there are secret sayings. Yeah. Just saying, you know, a little bit of these belonging behaviors that make you kind of feel like an insider. Mm. Um, I love this soap company that their ritual, that's called Saban, and it's in, uh, they have them in Soho in Manhattan. And um, as soon as you walk in the door, they invite you to uh, get your hands scrubbed and washed in this marble um, sink that they have. They give you a, they, they wash them with these sea salts and then they give you this soap and, um, and then they give you this cream to put on. And so now before I've even gone shopping for one thing, I'm already indoctrinated into the brand. I'm already like, I'm part of the drive. Like, oh, wow. They, like, yeah. yeah. I did this ceremonial thing. This, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you kind of feel like you're part of the club. Um, there's this dentist. Actually, he's an orthodontist. And um, his ritual is when you go in, you, um, you get to pick your playlist and for music and he also gives you this comfort bear to squeeze when you're having your teeth surgery oh yeah and I said to my kids after they had their 
teeth surgery. I'm like, did you get the comfort bear? And they showed me, they took it out of their backpack. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just by doing these little proprietary rituals, you can actually make people feel like, you know, part of your club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Make them feel special yeah. too. Like that aspect of part of your club yeah. is making them feel special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Kiehl's, do you guys have Kiehl's over there? It's a cosmetics company. Well, they're really like soap and all kinds of stuff, but they have this try before you buy um, thing where you walk mm. in. And if you say I'm interested in, you know, face cleanser or shampoo or anything, I mean, they were based on the idea of a pharmacy, which is some hundred years old, but they, their brand ritual and the part of the way they make you feel like an insider and part of their club is they just, they pick out all these samples to just give you to go home and try first. Yeah. Um, And so now you're like, wow, you're not even going to ask me for any money. And I, I can just, you know, go home and try this stuff out that already, you know, by using the product, now you're feeling like you're kind of part of their club. It's interesting you bring that up. Like, would you recommend giving something for free uh, always? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's a concept called reciprocity. And if you notice that um, once somebody starts liking your stuff on Instagram, you feel this natural inclination to want to like their stuff back. Yes. So you just can't really help it. It's a natural give and take relationship. So once somebody starts, you know, once somebody does you a favor, you can't help but want to return the favor. It's just common law. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of things that um, even these online whether you're taking a course or selling services online, you start out by giving them something free. Yeah. It's just kind of a rule of thumb. All of a sudden now I have something free, whether it's an ebook or I got a free webinar or something like that. And now I've, you know, now I'm like in a part of the, the system here. And also you gave me something free so I can spend, you know, a little bit of more time with you. Yeah. See if you have what I like. Um, Another one I really like is a code of conduct. And this isn't something that um, many brands do, but I have seen it done. And it creates such an insider feeling of this is how we do things around here. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, um, a speakeasy in San Francisco, it's called Bourbon and Branch, and it's a, a prohibition-themed uh, bar. And it's, you know, just like a speakey would be, speakeasy would be, it's hard to find. You have to go in through some backdoor alley or something like that. But then once you get inside, they have house rules. And the house rules are things like um, speakeasy. In other words, we don't want a whole bunch of loud people. Um you know, take your cell phone conversations outside and don't even think of ordering a Cosmo. Do you know what a Cosmo is? Yes. (laughs) 
It's a it's a cosmopolitan and 80s era style drink. Okay, you're not ordering an 80s frou-frou drink in this club because we are a prohibition themed speakeasy. Wow. <laughs> and just by saying that, you know, you're like, okay, they have their own way of doing things. I like that. Yeah. I'm fine. Like it, it gives them character. Mm-hmm. But it also says we're not for everybody. Yeah. And isn't that the point? Yeah. No, yeah, wow. I, I do this with my kids. You know, if you think about, actually there's a, a brewery that I love that we did some work for and we did an employee playbook for them. And, and you know, another thing we talk about, I'll get back to the code of conduct with my kids in a second, but um I also like brand mantras. And so what are some things that you say inside the organization? And one thing I found that almost everyone in the organization said was never, ever not killing it. Mm. Okay. So this is like their esprit de corps. This is their like core philosophy. It's like, we're coming to work every day and we're never, ever not going to be killing it. And, you know, by having, like, these internal sayings, you yeah. kind of keep everybody, like, feeling like there's something special. Yeah, like their motto. Yeah, sure. No, yeah, it makes sense. Like it does make sense, that belonging, that belonging that we, mm-hmm. yeah, and that co- you can, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And these seven principles, like, they're so valuable and people benefit so much from them in, in many aspects of any kind of business that they're that they putting out there in the world and whatever they want their product to, to for people to reach. So, no, thank you so much for collating all this and putting it down into like obviously it's taken you 30, you know, years and years and years. <laughs> and now you've got it in one nice little bundle for us to a I simplified version do. for us I to understand. And, and you know what? They're so basic, as you can see, they're yeah, so they are. simple. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not new. They're not novel. They're not, you know, in fact, they're largely prehistoric. They're just things that you must do if you want to connect more powerfully. Yeah. No, it totally makes complete sense. No, thank you so much, Megan, for this conversation. So and it's been, so yes, fun. super interesting. And I've learned so much. And I'm so super, super grateful that you've come on and, and shared this with us. And I'm sure the listeners will have so many questions in our cafe episodes after this. Well, I just, I, I thank you so much, Tiffany, for giving me the opportunity to, to come on your program. And for you have the best questions, really. I mean, that's your... That's your authenticity. You're just so good at getting people to talk and uh, ask all the right questions. And uh, it's been really fun. It has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Get to Know You. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate, review, and share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can tag me at Get to Know You with Tiffany Farron. In my mission to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, I want to hear from you listeners. The question again, how do you sell yourself? Leave an audio, video, or a message on the Facebook or Instagram page of your response to today's question, including your name and where you're from. We'll include some different responses in next week's Get to Know You Cafe to further deepen dialogue on this topic. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss, be sure to tag me in a post with your question. Join us every Tuesday on Get to Know You.